This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPOILERS. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on The Lego Movie, directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller and starring a lot of Lego minifigures voiced by such actors as... Give me some, David. Chris Pratt, Will Ferrell. Elizabeth Banks, Will Arnett, um, Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Right. Morgan Freeman. Oh, Morgan Freeman, notably so. All right, we'll get around to who they all play in a moment. But first, let me introduce my guest, David Hagland. Hi, David. Hi, Dana. You're a senior editor at Slate and the editor of the culture blog, Browbeat. That's right. And uh, we saw the Lego movie together a few nights ago, and we haven't really extensively discussed it. So No. Um, before you tell your story, I just want to thank the Lego movie for really turning around my mood on Monday night. You actually saw that happen, right? I went into the theater really, really not wanting to see the Lego movie or any movie. I had been up all night the night before until 4.30 writing about Philip Seymour Hoffman. I was incredibly sad. I was incredibly tired. I mean, it was just it was, it was a cold, slushy, freezing day. Do you remember that? I just walked in saying, like, this movie had better be really good because it's going to take a lot to make me feel better. And then for two hours, I was laughing away. So I'll always thank the Lego movie for that. Well, if you're a film critic in New York, this week you had terrible weather. You Horrible lost, news. You lost Philip Seymour Hoffman. You argued with people about Woody Allen. And then this movie shows up. Right. <laughs> yeah, this was such a bad vibes week all yeah, around. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, and then I really do feel like there was this, you know, it didn't make everything better. It didn't take the pain away. But for two hours, it was really fun. And you were really dreading the movie, as I imagine a lot of critics were, because it looks like such a cynical cash grab. And, in fact, that's a term that the director, I believe it was, uses in an interview. I mean, they know that, on the one hand, Lego is this giant and very successful company that is making a movie to sell its products. And yet they did, I think we agree, manage to make a very joyful movie out of that arguably inauspicious uh, opportunity. This is something that I actually don't understand, and I hope there's a good business story, like a well-reported, you know, whatever, Wall Street Journal story about Lego's connection to this movie. I mean, Lego is connected to the movie. They certainly okayed the usage of their name, and apparently the two directors and the animation director, Chris McKay, spent a lot of time in Denmark at the Lego headquarters, you know, working with people there and kind of, you know, building prototype Lego models and things like that, and yet this doesn't feel at all like one of the Transformers movies, and unlike the Transformers movies, there isn't actually a Lego logo, a Lego logo that appears right before it begins. The way that you see Hasbro in big letters brought to you by Hasbro at the beginning of the Transformers movie. So I'm not quite sure to what extent they were invested in the representation of their product. But, I mean, as we both were talking about coming out afterwards, and as everybody seems to be remarking about this movie, there's something almost anti-business in the ultimate message that it sends. There is something anti-business, and I'm going to try to write something for Slate about this, because on some level I think that may be sincere on the part of the people who made the movie, but one can at least argue that it is wildly disingenuous. And while I really enjoyed the movie, I think that aspect of of the story and of the story, the story that it tells, is naive, um, sort of maybe uh, forgivably oblivious and silly, given the <laughs> given that this is a children's movie. But I think that it's a, an incredibly effective advertisement for Legos, and that I well I. I can't say for sure uh, how involved executives were. Um, Lego was working with Warner Brothers five, six years ago to um, to make something like this happen, and it actually fits in perfectly with the strategy of the brand since 
its uh, some of its key patents expired a couple of decades ago. Um, where now, I mean, anybody can make blocks that are almost exactly like Legos. Now they don't have the the sole right to do that, and so they need to uh, to sell the brand. What they've done is they have um, purchased the rights to stories that kids want to tell. Right, so they now have their Star Wars Legos starting in '99. Then there are Pirates um, of the Caribbean. Yes, right? Batman Lego. So this sort of licensing has become a big part of what um, what Lego does. And this movie now means that Lego itself is a story that kids will want to tell. Um, all, none of which is to, to necessarily condemn the movie at all. I mean, this is just sort of the nature of big Hollywood entertainment. On some level, you know, The Dark Knight is about selling toys too. So. I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's um, that this makes the movie cynical. But I do think it's interesting to think through, given that the movie itself builds this into the storyline. Right, and and in fact, the conflict that the movie builds in is not so much consumerism versus not consumerism, not buying Legos versus not buying Legos, but it's the kits, right? The prepackaged kits versus freeform building with whatever blocks you happen to have, which kind of becomes the big, you know, war in the movie between those two approaches toward building. All right, so we should get into what happens in the actual movie, and it actually is perfect that we're spoiling this one because it's got a big, big twist at the end, so we'll get there. Um, So as we begin the movie, we're in this all-Lego universe, right, which is this sort of visually delightful world where everything, including fire and water and every substance, is made of individual Lego bricks or little pieces of bricks. And uh, we're in a town called Bricksburg, where a bunch of identical construction workers seem every day to be cheerfully constructing the same towers over and over again while listening to the same awesome and yet utterly infectious and annoying pop song, uh, Everything is Awesome, which becomes the theme to, to, um, to this benighted world of, of workers, right? But unbeknownst to them, the evil president business, who they all think is the great president business, voiced by Will Ferrell, is looking to use his secret weapon, the Kragle, to immobilize and freeze everything in Lego world exactly as it is, right? Right. He doesn't like the freedom that um, the uh, minifigures at least ostensibly have. They don't actually seem that free. They follow the, the, the rules of the world, or at least our hero, uh, Emmett, Emmett Brokowski, voiced by Chris Pratt, uh, insofar as he's representative of the people in this world, he follows those rules to right. a T. It's a very Aldous Huxleyan kind of dystopia, right? Where nobody knows they're in dystopia. Everybody feels just fine. Yeah, everything is awesome. And that song is genuinely catchy. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's actually, I think, an important part of the effectiveness of this movie. That it just, it's so fun. That the world looks fun. Even when it is um, in this dystopic state, it, it's really fun to, to watch and see it unfold and to just revel in it. Well, the music in general, we should note, that song is by Tegan and Sarah. And it's kind of one of those perfect pop compositions that works in the movie, outside of the movie. It's sort of hard to imagine what will happen to it. I wonder if it could actually become a hit. But it makes complete sense in its context. And then the incidental music, the score is written by Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo and of many Wes Anderson movies, who does an amazing job, I think, as well, with this electronic score that's very bouncy and jaunty and witty and really kind of swirls you from one Lego universe to the next. Well, there's a really thoughtful aesthetic uh, that the movie has in general, and the music's part of that, and also the animation, which, as I understand it, essentially imitates stop motion. Um, It isn't actually stop motion, but they did somehow incorporate... Uh, actual uh, Lego toys. But there is some real stop motion in there. There right? definitely in the end credits, and then from what an interview I read with, I think it was this guy Chris McKay. Is that his name? This yeah. animator who worked on the movie. Um, they actually computer generate. They used stop motion uh, cheat techniques in their computer. Uh, 
animation so that the kinds of things that stop motion animators would have to do uh, in order to make stop motion work, they sort of built that into their style. Right. They imported those limitations into some super high tech program. Yeah. Right? So it looks like stop motion, even though at the same time the characters, you know, can smile and laugh and talk in a way that obviously a Lego figure couldn't do because their faces are just painted on. Right. I mean, what I really appreciated about the animation is, for one thing, that it doesn't doesn't really care about what stop motion animation and what's not. It just wants to look good, yeah. you know, and uh, and and just that it, it sort of appreciates volume you know, volume and shadows and things that real physical objects have. So it doesn't, and also dings and nicks and scratches. A lot of the bricks, especially the spaceman character who comes along later, are kind of dinged up from use. And so you don't have a sense that you're in this glossy FAO Schwartz toy store where everything's shiny and new. Right. In fact, one of the, um, I think, more clever details uh, involves this, this sort of junk, basically, that President Business has, which, you know, viewers immediately recognize as items from the, the quote-unquote real world, right? So there's a, a used oh, band yeah, the aid. relics, exactly. <laughs> the relics. Well, so now, I'm glad you mentioned the relics, because now we can get into the larger overarching plot. I also want to, we haven't even talked about the main character, Emmett, and his, the beginning of his journey. But yeah, there's these relics that the president has that we immediately realize as things from the human world. And, and so you start to get a sense that, you know, outside of this Lego universe we're in, there are some hands that reach in and play, even if we don't see that happening for a very long time. But my favorite of the relics that he has is the, the cloak of Bandaid, yeah. <laughs> a dirty old Band-Aid that he wraps around himself ceremonially. Yeah, so then Emmett, uh, one day at his work site, you know, he's a construction worker. and This, we should say, is the, is the construction minifigure voiced by Chris Pratt. Yes, okay, go on. and he, uh, he stays behind. I think, actually, you know, his instruction manual gets blown behind him, right? And he goes off to fetch it, if I remember the, the setup uh, exactly. And then he trips and falls after getting a glimpse of this, this woman, um, whose name is Wildstyle, and who is basically a, a ninja graffiti artist or something. And and he's immediately smitten with her, and she clearly is, you know, this um, sort of subversive figure. She she cloaks herself with a hoodie, and she has dyed hair, and she's... I love how when you first see her, her hair in a joke on the, you know, the hair blowing in the wind on the heroine when you first see her, her, you know, helmet of plastic hair is kind of moving back and forth, right. rotating from side to side. <laughs> Slowly moves across her forehead. Um, um, but so he he falls into this hole and ends up accidentally attaching himself to something called the piece of resistance. And when he does, he has this sort of vision that, you know, very briefly and um, sporadically explains that president business is actually lord business and the piece of resistance is the only thing that can stop him from his evil quest to freeze the world. Right. And the piece of resistance, we should say, although we don't learn for a long time what it is, is, is an object from outside the Lego world, clearly, which is why everybody holds it in such you know, mysterious esteem. So Wildstyle snaps up Emmett, the construction worker, takes him on this crazy motorcycle ride, introduces him to all her rebel friends who are members of the resistance trying to overthrow the president. And they proceed then to journey throughout the Lego universe, which is a really, really great section of the movie, I think, because it's just a chance for the directors and the animation director to let their imaginations run wild as to what what kind of Lego worlds might exist. So they go to like a Western cowboy kind of world, right? Yeah. Then if I remember right, they're whisked out of that world by sort of a, a car chase buddy cop. Yeah. Kind of scenario. Yeah. So, in addition to a president business, his his henchman, a bad cop, 
voiced by Liam Neeson. Oh, I love him. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yes. the other key villain here who uh, his whole head rotates and when he, he has a smiley face on one side and then the mean um, sort of uh, cool hand Luke reminiscent, you know, uh, face on the other side, um, those opaque uh, cop glasses. Right, and gritted teeth. And yeah. I love the way Neeson creates the two voices. They're two Irish cop voices for good cop and bad cop, and they're just so perfectly diametrically opposed. But so he chases uh, Emmett and Wildstyle and their friends uh, to the uh, Wild West world where they've gone, and then chases them out of it. And they end up, I think, from there into Cloud Cuckoo Land. Right. Cloud Cuckoo Land being this kind of, I guess, like, what would it be? Sort of the girls' Lego universe. I mean, what it's making fun of, I think, is just the, you know, the anodyne nature of toys for little girls. So it's this wonderful world that's all in white clouds with little kittens and bunnies floating everywhere. And there's no conflict whatsoever because everyone has to repress all their negative feelings. And I love Cloud Cuckoo Land. Yeah. And like, there's the uh, Unikitty, which is this um, strange unicorn kitty creature voiced by Alison Brie. Who comes Comes with them from Cloud Cuckoo Land. Yeah. And as long as we're spoiling, then tragically she has to witness from their spaceship the site of her land being destroyed, right? Oh, doesn't I've she forgotten see, that. Doesn't she see, or is it totally th- destroyed? Yes. Isn't I think there it like an be. explosion it's of very, Cloud Cuckoo Land? It's pretty It's pretty very tragic. Star Wars. She's sort of the Princess Leia. This, right, uh, exactly. And so then she takes her inspiration from that, and the rage that she, she feels from seeing the destruction of Cloud Cuckoo Land becomes her fuel later on in the action sequences. Right. And, the, I mean, we should also mention one of the... Um, other key characters here is, uh, you know, voiced by Will Arnett, as as previously mentioned, and it's Batman. And Batman is Wildstyle's boyfriend. So it, while all of this adventuring is going on, there's this, uh, you know, lightly sketched uh, love triangle because... Emmett is in love with Wildstyle. She has his boyfriend, Batman, who is really a figure of fun throughout the movie. He takes himself much too seriously. He only builds with black Legos <laughs> or maybe very, very dark gray. Right. And Will Arnett speaks in a gravelly voice that it's definitely meant to, to take off on the Christian Bale, right? The voice filter from, from the Christopher Nolan movies. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I love the idea of Batman as a bad boyfriend. It's so perfect. It's like singing his bad heavy metal songs in the car and wanting everyone's admiration. And then another, the other character of the Motley crew that I absolutely love is Vitruvius, the uh, the wise man voiced by Morgan Freeman, who um, <laughs> who is just such a great, it's just such a great Mormon, Morgan Freeman parody. And I love that Morgan Freeman is completely game and completely aware of how overused he is as kind of the, you know, the source of wisdom in voiceovers. Right. And one of the funnier uh, set pieces, I think, is when, um, to get into some more spoiling, uh, in the course of all this, Vitruvius is killed. Although what that really means in this in this Lego universe, ultimately, I'm I'm not sure. Right, because the equivalent of gore in this movie is like somebody's limbs fall off, but they seem to be able to put themselves back together again. At least the pirate does, right? The pirate is basically a head who's built himself a whole armature in which to keep his head. Yeah, and that's Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman another, is the pirate, right? Yeah, but so and 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 Vitruvius comes back very quickly as a ghost, and the, it's a it's a toy ghost. It's sort of a very familiar. Oh my God, the ghost is brilliant because he's sort of dangling from this bad string like a yeah. piece of dental floss. And it's one of the only moments I can think of where. You know, again, why they decide to make that character, you can see the string. So they put that in there as a kind of joke on what's going on. I don't, I don't, it works really well. I don't know exactly why, you know, what governed that particular narrative choice, but somehow it seems so in keeping with <laughs> the rest of the, the look of the, and feel of the movie. I also love that kind of Ben Kenobi style, being dead is no impediment whatsoever to Vitruvius. He just comes back and continues to give bad advice. He's kind of like a sage who doesn't actually know what's going on. Right. All right, David, let's stop for just a moment for a word from our sponsor. 
This episode of the Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPOILER. Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create a unique website for you or your business. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you need some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They start at just $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for one year. You can start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SPOILER to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast. Okay, back to the Lego movie. You know, I think a big part of what makes this movie work so well, I mean, the writing is excellent, the animation is a lot of fun, but I really feel like the voice characterizations are spot on. There isn't anybody who doesn't really make something out of their character. And it also sounds like, I'm not, I'm not sure to what extent they were recorded together, but it feels like a real ensemble, like they're actually interacting in the same space. Yeah, I mean, part of it, it seems like there's this sensibility to the whole movie. So in addition to the, the look and the sound, the, the actors that they got, I don't know whether they had any input on how they shaped these characters, but, you know, people like Charlie Day, Nick Offerman, Will Arnett, these are very funny people, Alison Brie, who have a, a sensibility themselves in the other work that they've done, and it feels as though they have brought that in to the movie in a really effective way. So it's not just, here are a bunch of famous people we were able to hire to do this voice work. It actually feels as though they are characters. They have embodied them and, and brought them to life in this movie. Yeah, and they're part of the general spirit of craft that animates the movie. I mean, I think ultimately that was a big part of why it put this big smile on my face, is, is that I just felt like everybody who was working on this shared a vision and worked together to complete it. You know, there was just something about it that had, even though it's obviously big budget and large scale, it had that kind of DIY craftsman-like feeling that people were building a universe. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that made me laugh most was this scene in which Charlie Day, who plays the the spaceman, the old sort of... Um, the 80s spaceman, yeah, right, Yeah, the 80s Benny. Lego spaceman. Um, he finally gets to build a spaceship. He keeps wanting to build a spaceship as part of their um, part of their mission, and it just is never really essential for him to do that. Finally, they need him to build a spaceship, and he is so excited. <laughs> and I love that every time you see him piling it, piloting it thereafter, he just screams, Spaceship! <laughs> yeah. Stop and it's a perfect Charlie Day scene. I mean, if, if you're from familiar with his work and it's always sunny i mean just that kind of unhinged manic joy yeah right. it's perfect so we definitely can't talk about the lego movie without talking about the twist it was very hard to review it without revealing something about the twist and i actually feel ambivalent about the twist i think there are going to be people who really don't think it works and i think it does temporarily set you on a different course that makes you think that you know the movie is not going to end well but then actually when i came around i thought the twist was brilliant so do you want to go ahead and reveal what it is sure so in the end you realize that this whole thing that we've just watched is uh, has been imagined by this little boy who we then see in you know in live action and he's been playing with his father's toys. Right. His father is a Lego enthusiast. Played by Will Ferrell. Played by Will Ferrell, who voices President Business uh, as well. So, the, you know, he sort of is this villainous figure who has uh, clearly told his son not to come down to, and play with, with all of his Legos. In fact, there are signs up all around that say, hands off and don't touch. And he wants them to uh, stay rigid and unmoving. And there is, in fact, crazy glue uh, in the basement. Craggle is actually crazy glue with some letters missing. And the piece of resistance is the cap. I love see, I love glue. that. To me, this is, was such a great moment when you realize this is all about an actual man with actual crazy glue. 
and that it's sort of happening on these two levels. So it's essentially, you know, like a parable where the story is unfolding on two levels at once. I guess my one fear is that for children, I actually told the story to my seven-year-old daughter when I got back from the Lego movie. I said, you would love this movie. She loves to have things spoiled. She always wants to know everything that happens. So I went through and told her the whole thing. And then her only question was at the end, well, but does that mean that Emmett and all the guys in that world were not real? You know, and so I think the hard thing to grasp for a kid would have to be not to be deflated with the idea that, oh, they're all just pieces of plastic being moved by these humans. But I don't think the movie believes that at all. I think that the directors really managed to sustain those two separate realities, both sides of the parable as concurrent stories. Yeah, in fact, to my mind, it plays in exactly with um, how a how a kid would like to see his or her own toys, which is that they come to life. And so the idea, I don't think that you need to separate those two possibilities for a child. They're both. Uh, you know, they're both these, you know, simple plastic toys, but that also come to life and have, you know, these stories of their own. And it, I, th- I do think it works very effectively. And it also, um, you know, makes sense of the various details that that we've mentioned in the movie, like, for instance, the Band-Aid. And, you know, oh, you re- now you realize, oh, there were things throughout that um, hinted at this, although certainly didn't give it away, not for me. I do think it goes on a little long and it gets very sappy. Uh, it, it, where the the spirit of it is, I think, in the right place, but it's just stretched out in a way that um, comes close to wearing out its welcome. Yeah, well, the pacing has to shift necessarily because you're no longer in a world of, you know, little little plastic creatures zinging around to different universes, right? Suddenly there's like two creatures of flesh and blood that are interacting in the real world, and that does kind of slow down the pace. And I agree that there could have been one less sentimental beat, even though I actually do love the conclusion that essentially the little boy kind of convinces his father that Legos are about play. I can't remember what actual line or gesture it is that convinces the Will Ferrell character, but there's a moment that, you know, he embraces his son and he kind of realizes, let's mess up all these toys and not not glue them down. Yeah, and in fact, I mean, it won me over in the end, partly because I think the closing joke is so good, which is when uh, Will Ferrell tells the son, you know, if if I'm going to let you play down here, I also need to let your sister play down here. And then we see these uh, Duplo toys, and 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 Duplo is the uh, uh, it's the brand of Legos for younger kids, like the baby blocks. Yeah, and suddenly you see them, and they're sort of menacing and monstrous. Um, <laughs> yeah, and speaking in a little toddler voice, and you realize that they're going to come wreck the entire carefully built Lego world. Yeah, and I have seen that unfold. I don't have kids myself, but I have nieces and nephews, and I have seen you know how frustrated the older kid gets when his younger sister. Um, wants to play with the Legos as well because he has his own elaborate, you know, thing that he's doing and she wants to mix them all together. And so the the movie seems very uh, aware of how kids actually play with these toys and has a little fun with that in a way that I think parents will probably find very funny as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I whether or not you're a Lego nerd, this is really a movie about play, about play and creativity and, and making your own universe. And it, it just seems like there's there's no one that that wouldn't appeal to. Right. I mean, and I think ultimately um, that is that is how Legos uh, like to see themselves. Right. I mean, this is this is Lego presenting its best self. Um, you, whatever you know, you think of Star Wars Legos or Harry Potter Legos or Lone Ranger Legos, which came out when that movie uh, hit theaters. Um, it has this long tradition of um, creative play as a part of its essentially corporate identity. And this movie manages to tap into that um, in a fairly brilliant way, I think. 
Yeah, maybe if I had a kid who was always bugging me to go to the Lego store and buy more Lego sets, I would find this movie to be, you know, to have some sort of a corporate shill agenda lurking under its sweet, happy surface. But given that I have a kid who's not a huge builder and would like this movie just for the characters and the music and the fun of it, I, I have to give it a, I'm, I'm giving it a huge thumbs up. I loved it. Yeah, well, maybe she'll want Lego movie Legos now. So they are going to come out with a kid? They, those are also on sale. <laughs> now, Susie, there you go. That is a heavy, heavy dose of irony to end our podcast on. Okay, David, thanks a lot for coming to talk about the Lego movie. Thanks, Dana. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.